Hey, Wiki listeners, it's Rachel. And Victor, did you know I host the fantastic NYC Talent Show every Monday night at the Parkside Lounge in New York City? It's an off-off Broadway showcase where you can see New York's underground performance art up close. We've got weekly special guests like Colin Quinn, Janine Garofalo, Tone Bell, and lots more. Use the code WIKILISTEN for a special discount on tickets when you go to nyctalentshow.com. That's nyctalentshow.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is the Wikipedia page for United States Presidential Pets. You're listening to the podcast where we read Wikipedia pages and provide commentary. Welcome to Wikilisten. I'm Victor Vernado, KSN. And I'm Rachel Teichman, LMSW. We are going to read some of our favorite presidential pets Wikipedia pages, and we're going to start off with the first paragraph from the page, United States Presidential Pets. Are you ready, Rachel? Meow. I'll take that as a yes. United States Presidential Pets Most United States presidents have kept pets while in office, or pets have been part of their families. Only James K. Polk, Andrew Johnson, and Donald Trump did not have any presidential pets while in office. However, Johnson did take care of some mice he found in his bedroom, feeding them, among other things. What are those other things? I don't know. Let's not find out. I'm sure uh, sure a good time was had by all. Anyway, let's read some of our favorite presidential pets. All right. Dick the Mockingbird. Dick the Mockingbird was the name of one of U.S. President Thomas Jefferson's pet birds. Although there had been previous presidential pets, Jefferson is thought to be the first president to have a pet that lived in the White House. Prior to his term in the Oval Office, Jefferson bought his first Mockingbird in November 1772 from a slave of his father-in-law, John Wills, for five shillings. Birds were Jefferson's favorite animal, 
and Dick was the favorite from among at least four mockingbirds the president had while in office. During his time in the White House, Jefferson wrote observations on the types of birds that he spotted in the area. In May 1793, in response to a letter from his son-in-law, Thomas Mann Randolph, Jefferson wrote, I sincerely congratulate you on the arrival of the mockingbird. Teach all the children to venerate it as a superior being which will haunt them if any harm is done to itself or its eggs. As a pet, Jefferson was noted to have kept Dick's cage in a special area in his study among plants on a windowsill where he would often leave the cage open, allowing him free range of the room. The mockingbird was known to perch on Jefferson's couch and sing him to sleep after following him step by step up the stairs. Dick liked to sit on Jefferson's shoulder as he worked at his desk in the study. Jefferson had even trained the bird to swoop down and take food from between his lips. When Jefferson started playing his violin, Dick would pour out his song along with the violin as in a duet. An acquaintance of Jefferson wrote, How he loved the bird. He could not live without something to love. His bird and his flowers became the objects of his tender care. <laughs> Wonderful. Wow. <laughs> that was Dick, Dick the, the Mockingbird. Mockingbird. Sounds great. This is the Wikipedia page for Rebecca Raccoon. Rebecca was a raccoon kept as a pet by U.S. President Calvin Coolidge and First Lady Grace Coolidge. Rebecca came from Mississippi. She had been sent to the White House to be served for the 1926 Thanksgiving dinner. Since the 1913 death of Horace Vose, the traditional provider of the White House Thanksgiving turkey, numerous farmers had been angling to provide the president's Thanksgiving meal. And despite Coolidge's requests to stop the practice in 1923, the unsolicited gifts continued and became increasingly unusual, with the live raccoon being the furthest out of the ordinary fare. <laughs> Coolidge, who had never eaten raccoon and had no appetite to try it, kept Rebecca as a pet instead. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. He's like, stop sending his stuff, and then somebody's like, try a raccoon. <laughs> that is some real Americana. For Christmas... An embroidered collar was made for Rebecca, inscribed with the title White House Raccoon. She enjoyed participating in the annual White House Easter Egg Roll. She was fed shrimp and persimmons, and eggs were a favorite. Rebecca was let loose in the White House and walked on a leash outdoors. At times, she could be mischievous and was known to unscrew light bulbs, open cabinets, and unpot houseplants. Wow. As First Lady Grace wrote, we had a house made for her in one of the large trees with a wire fence built around it for protection. We kept her chained when out of doors, but in the house she had her liberty. She was a mischievous, inquisitive party, and we had to keep watch of her when she was in the house. She enjoyed nothing better than being placed in a bathtub with a little water in it and given a cake of soap with which to play. In this fashion, she would amuse herself for an hour or more. In March 1927, during a White House renovation, Coolidge brought Rebecca to his temporary quarters in a DuPont Circle mansion. When the Coolidges took a vacation in the Black Hills, they brought Rebecca along in a basket together with two of their dogs, Rob Roy and Prudence Prim, as well as five canaries on the 1,800-mile railroad journey. 
In preparation for leaving the White House at the end of the president's term in 1929, the Coolidge's donated Rebecca to the zoological quarters in Rock Creek Park, now the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. However, Rebecca failed to adapt to zoo life and died shortly thereafter. Oh, my God. It's very sad. Other animals. As a companion for Rebecca, Reuben, a male raccoon, was acquired by a White House police officer. Reuben frequently escaped, being recovered by White House staff. However, he ultimately disappeared without a trace. Herbert Hoover was next to occupy the White House soon thereafter. A wild possum moved into Rebecca's vacant treehouse and was adopted by the Hoovers and named Billy Possum. Aw. Yay. (laughs) The legacy of Rebecca Raccoon. (laughs) Well, now we get to read about another Billy. This is the Wikipedia page for Billy, Pygmy Hippo. (laughs) Billy, or William Johnson Hippopotamus. (laughs) Yay. Before 1927 through October 11th, 1955, was a Pygmy Hippopotamus given to U.S. President Calvin Coolidge. Captured in Liberia, he was given to Coolidge by Harvey Samuel Firestone in 1927. Billy spent most of his life in the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. In addition to his fame as an exotic presidential pet, which afforded him a trip to the 1939 New York World's Fair, Billy is also notable as the common ancestor to most pygmy hippos in American zoos. By the time of his death in 1955, Billy had sired 23 calves 13 of whom survived at least a year. That's amazing. He likes to get busy. Early years. In 1927, Harvey Samuel Firestone, the founder of the Firestone Tire and Rubber Company, acquired Billy in Liberia, where he was captured on one of Firestone's tire's large plantations. Calvin Coolidge, who was a U.S. president at the time, was known for his collection of animals, including many dogs, birds, a wallaby, lion cubs, a raccoon, and other unusual animals. At the time, pygmy hippos were virtually unknown in the United States. On May 26, 1927, Coolidge was informed that he would receive the rare hippo, already adult size at 6 feet 1.8 meters long and around 600 pounds, 270 kilograms as a gift. Aww. In Coolidge's autobiography, he wrote about the unusual menagerie he collected and stated that he donated many of these animals, including Billy, to the National Zoo. Though Coolidge had a deep fascination with animals, he was overshadowed by Theodore Roosevelt, who was more widely known for and associated with his interest in animals. By August 1927, Coolidge had sent the second largest collection of animals of any president after Roosevelt to the zoo and paid them frequent visits. Upon his arrival, Billy was one of the most valuable animals the zoo had ever received and was only the eighth pygmy hippopotamus to be brought to the United States. Billy was a popular animal. Several months after his arrival, the New York Times wrote Billy was as frisky as a dog. Even the antics of the monkeys go unobserved when the keeper opens the tiny hippo's cage and cuts up with him. Parenting Troubles Today, pygmy hippos breed well in captivity. Since Billy's arrival, 58 pygmy hippos have been born at the National Zoo alone. As one of the earliest pygmy hippos in captivity in the U.S. zoo system, Billy went on to become the direct 
ancestor of nearly all pygmy hippos in American zoos. When Billy first came to the zoo, however, keepers did not know much about pygmy hippopotamus husbandry. A mate for Billy, a female named Hannah, was acquired by the zoo on September 4, 1929. Billy's and Hannah's first calf was born on August 26, 1931, but did not survive the week. Inability to survive the neglect of an errant mother was the cause given for baby hippo's demise, eulogized the Washington Post. Over the next two years, two more calves would follow, both of which died in infancy. Billy's third calf was killed when Hannah rolled on top of the baby and crushed it. She's just a bad mother, said, <laughs> said the zoo's longtime director, William M. Mann. I guess if it's if it's Billy the Hippo, then William M. Mann is the <laughs> zoo director. I guess so. As Hannah's fourth pregnancy progressed, zookeepers noticed she seemed to be less agitated than previous pregnancies and attributed this to their new quarters. During her previous three pregnancies, Hannah had lived in the zoo's lion house, a stressful environment for a pregnant hippo. On Mother's Day of 1938, Hannah gave birth to a healthy baby. All right, this is the part that uh, a lot of the ladies out there are going to enjoy. Life is a stud. Such was Billy's popularity in the 1930s that at the end of the decade, he traveled to Queens, New York for the 1939 New York World's Fair, where he appeared in the Firestone exhibit. Billy and Hannah successfully had more calves, and because of Billy's worth as a breeding stud, Man traveled with the Smithsonian Firestone Expedition to Liberia in 1940 and acquired a second mate for Billy, another female who came to be known as Matilda. Between 1931 and 1954, Hannah gave birth to 15 of Billy's calves, seven of whom were reared or lived at least one year. Between 1943 and 1956, Matilda gave birth to eight of Billy's calves, six of which were reared. At some point during the 1940s, the press started to refer to Billy as William Johnson Hippopotamus. The zoo developed the tradition of naming all his calves Gumdrop, using Roman numerals to distinguish them. By the birth of Gumdrop the 16th, the zoo had noticed something curious. Of all Billy's calves, only one was male. Research would later confirm that pygmy hippos in captivity are far more likely to give birth to females, though not by such an extreme ratio as Billy. 23 years after Coolidge's death, January 5, 1933, Billy himself died on October 11, 1955, five months before the birth of Gumdrop the 18th. He carried his work on to the end, said a zoo official. Hannah followed Billy in death March 6, 1958. Well, said a zoo official, I guess it's not the same William Mann who apparently hated Hannah. <laughs> I guess not. A legacy continued. After a year or two at the National Zoo, Billy's offspring were typically sent to other locations. Among the places to which his progeny were transferred were the Cole Brothers Circus, Philadelphia Zoological Gardens, Catskill Game Farm, the Miller Brothers Circus, the Fort Worth Zoo, and international destinations such as Sydney and London. In 1960, 
after learning that the zoo's female pygmy hippos remained without male companionship after Billy's death, Liberian President William Tubman dispatched a search party to find a new male pygmy hippopotamus to ship to Washington. The pygmy hippopotamus named Totota arrived in Brooklyn, New York on February 4, 1960, and traveled via station wagon to Washington the next day, where he would continue Billy's breeding legacy with the zoo's female pygmy hippos, two of which were Billy's daughters. <laughs> Billy's story is epic. The uh, <laughs> Billy's story, Billy the hippo, and William Mann, his uh, zookeeper guy, that is the weirdest coincidence. William Hippopotamus and William Mann. That's, That's true. the craziest thing. That's true. That is crazy. But the part that really got me was the fact that they named all the progeny Gumdrop. Well, if you know who George Foreman is, you know that uh, he probably picked up a couple of things from Billy the Hippo because he named all his kids George. Did you know that? I did know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> many times all right well you know what that's great because now we know a lot more about these pets this has been the wikipedia page for united states presidential pets dick the mockingbird billy the hippo and of course rebecca the raccoon if you'd like us to read a wikipedia page let us know Thanks for listening to Wikilisten. To support the show, go to patreon.com slash Podcast and find us on social media at Wikilisten and at wikilisten.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.